Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, this is Toby Mathis with the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, and today I have with me Neil Bawa. Neil's been on a bunch of times, and I've known Neil for years. Hey Neil, how you doing? Fantastic. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. Oh, this is going to be a fun one because it's, uh, you know, facts don't care about your feelings to, is, is, is going to be the model for today because we're talking about the future of the real estate market and uh, your predictions. I love having you on because we had you on during the pandemic. It was a it was a blast and we got to get our crystal balls out. Now I'm curious as to what you're thinking is, is where we're headed. First things first, I, we think that the chances of a recession now are in that 100% range. So we've gone back, you know, close to 100 and whatever, 99.99%. So because we went back and looked at the Fed's track record, the last 61 years, the Fed has raised interest rates nine times to kill inflation. Mm. So their track record of killing inflation is awesome. All nine times the Fed succeeded. Their track record of avoiding a recession while killing inflation is awful, they managed to do it once in 1986. That's it. Every other time, the Fed basically should stop saying we're raising interest rates. What the Fed should say is we are putting the economy into a recession to avoid hyperinflation. If the Fed was honest, that's what they would say. They, but we're going to put it into a shallow recession. So we also studied what were those recessions to avoid inflation? What were those recessions and how bad were they? The short answer is Every single one of those recessions that was created just because inflation was getting out of control was a shallow recession. None of them lasted longer than nine months. None of them felt like 2008, and none of them left any lasting damage to the economy. And I'll explain what that means. Let's say you have this line, your trend line, right? So when a recession starts, you go off of that trend line. So if within a year and a half, you come back to the original trend line, that's considered a non-damaging recession. Right? It, it basically brought you back to the original trend line. You just had this dip, and you needed that dip to you know, not get into hyperinflation. But if you came back to the original trend line, that was a non-damaging recession. Well, luckily, all of these that the Fed puts us into are non-damaging. And so I, we, our team, actually, there was a group of four people looking at this stuff. And we were looking at the FRED, which is the St. Louis uh, Federal Reserve website. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. and, and when we looked at it, it was obvious why these are non-damaging, because in every instance, the Fed put us into the recession, and it was also very clear that the Fed took us out. The Fed is the one that actually removes us from a recession by then dropping interest rates very quickly. Do you think that that's what they're doing when Powell says we're going to raise interest rates to the end of 2022 and then start to taper it back down in 2023? You think that he's basically saying, hey, that's what we're going to do. We're, we're pushing you off the path. Let's say you're running down a path, and we're worried that you're getting out ahead of yourself and maybe that you're going you're, you're gonna to go too fast. You're going to fly off the path. So we push you off the path instead. Right. Just a few steps. So you fall into the bushes. Then you get back on the path again. You keep running. He's exactly. just saying, we're going to shove you off the path for a little while. You're running too fast. You're running too fast. And then, then when you come back, you'll be a little more cautious and you'll walk instead of running. But, but you notice that the Fed never really talks about tapering downwards. And the reason for that is they're afraid that the market will simply then assume that, oh, 
five months from now, they're going to be tapering. And then the market doesn't slow down. You don't ever get to a recession. So the Fed statements currently do not refer to the other side of this. But our research suggests that every time the Fed does it, it's, it's, it's mountain shaped. So it's sharp up. The peak is very, very shallow, usually three months. Mm-hmm. And then it's sharp down. And the sharper they go up, the sharper they come down. That's their track record. Now, what do you think, though, because in 1986, we didn't have a pandemic right before it, and we didn't have $5 trillion dumped into the economy during that period of time of new money, just like the Fed dumping money into it. What impact, and I'm sorry if this is unfair because I'm throwing stuff at you. I think it's a good question. But but what Mm -hmm. what impact do you think that's going to have? So it it simply means the Fed needs several more raises, Mm -hmm. right, to, to get to where they would have gotten to without that $5.4 trillion. And the Fed is about to catch a break. So, and this is not one that they would have anticipated catching. So one of the websites, like a lot of people think, you know, where does Neil look at for his data? I'm, I'm crazy. One of the, the 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 sites that I found that actually has incredible data that appears to suggest trends that nobody knows about is a website called FBX. That's fbx.fratos.com. That's F R E. I freight freightos.com. Or you can just try, try and go to freightos.com and sign I'm up for an account. Up right now, I can see it right now. So I'm going to yeah. pull it up. This is an amazing website because it shares data oh, on f- the cost of shipping containers from China to the United States. Actually, it does it from everywhere to everywhere. But the only number that I look at always and I track it and I take screenshots is the number from China to both the East Coast of the United States and the West Coast of the United States. Because what I find is this data shows me upcoming prices three or four months from now. And I can share this data with you. This is brand new data, right? In July, the website, when I look at the data for, I'm looking at it right now for, for the for the US, the high on a shipping container was $27,000 on July 22nd. So this is like just, just you know barely a month ago, right? $27,000 a container. You'll be stunned, Toby, at what it is today. The high today is $8,700. Yeah. It's gone from $27,000 to $8,007 in 37 days. So I know what is about to come. I know demand is cratering worldwide. And when demand craters worldwide, it tends to have a lowering price on oil. Basically, it drops the price of oil and obviously, oil is the largest factor of inflation worldwide. So I think we're about to see that because when transportation costs go down, it's not just the cost of transportation going down. It's demand. Yeah. Fundamental yeah. demand is cratering. And so I think the Fed's going to catch a break over the next three or four months. So and, and we're lucky for that, right? That'll keep them maybe from going too nuts or maybe. Too, yeah. Maybe, I mean, yeah. maybe they've already factored this in, Neil. Obviously, the Fed looks at this data and they look at data much more than I'm capable of looking at. But Mm -hmm. there's trends here that I think are invisible to the rest of the market because they're only five or six weeks old and they're extraordinary. Like here's a a headline that I am predicting seven or eight weeks from today. Mm -hmm. World economic demand craters. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm seeing right now on the Fredos website because I've not seen anything like it. Right. So I think that that helps the Fed. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to raise by 0.75 in the next meeting. They lose credibility if all of a sudden they back off. So they've got to keep going a little bit longer. But when you say demand, Mm -hmm. like you and I are in the same circles, there's a massive demand for housing. There is. 
there's a massive demand for food not going away. Massive demand for maybe this is what things like consumers. Yeah, might- you look at look at everything that the U.S. consumer uses, right? So obviously, food and and housing are two key inputs of that. But oil's a big one, and oil demand is expected to reduce. Oil's down from $130 a barrel to 90 and still, Goodness, still right? dropping. Um, and there's many others, right? So I, we, we can't simply just look at our side of the world and say that's all the demand there is because it's simply one input in a much bigger picture. So if all of the other inputs are showing negative growth, and this at this point they are, then I think that you can continue to have strong demand on the housing side, and the Fed isn't feeling as pressured to clamp down on housing anymore. Because what the Fed is doing, people have said this, the Fed is not trying to cool the economy. They're trying to cool housing because it's the portion of the economy that was the most red hot. I think that wages have a lot. Wages wages now, right? So for sure. Employment market. Everybody's running around, jumping ship to different jobs because everybody's in a bidding war for for people. Like I, I live in Las Vegas where restaurants are, closed two days a week in some instances because they have a lack of personnel they just can't find uh, people to fill the positions and they're trying to they're trying to create some new job openings let's just put it that way i'll put it nicely they're trying to yeah let's let's have a little higher unemployment maybe to 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 cool that down what is that going to do to real estate so you and i are both real estate investors so yeah for all those folks that are like, hey, you know what? I really love investing. I've just had this huge, you know, 48 month run up or 24 month run up that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? So I'm going to ignore a moment for, you know, this, this Fredo's data for a moment because that's brand new and I don't know exactly how much impact it'll have. So assuming that the Fed doesn't cash, the Fed doesn't cash that break, the Fed has to look at unemployment. It's ridiculously low. And the economy is currently fighting the Fed. It's fighting the Fed and it's fighting really, really hard. I saw last month's job numbers. They were out of this world, right? At any point in any economic cycle, you'd love to have numbers like this. And having numbers like this with interest rates this high is just absolutely astonishing. So the strength of the US economy is amazing, absolutely amazing. And by the way, there's a lot of people who think that somehow the the grass is greener on the other side of uh, the 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 Atlantic. It's horrible. England's recession is so bad that the last time they had a recession this bad was in the 1700s. Two year hundred years ago, they had a recession this bad. And, and all of the eurozone is in a recession. Japan's in a recession. China's going into a recession. And so there's one strong economy in the world right now, and that happens to be the U.S. of A. So feel a little grateful about where you are, people. You know? Yeah, I, you know when I was just over in Europe um, last month, it's bonkers. But what what was really bonkers was the energy prices. Oh my God! Going up multiples, like people saying four x, five x, six x, six. Yeah, it's like when I, it's bonkers how how much it's uh, it's just gone uh, nutty. Uh, Again, we don't see that here. Hopefully, we we are we are an extraordinarily insulated and lucky economy when you compare us to the rest of the world. So, bottom line is this: the rest of the world's weak, and that's going to give Fed some room there. But our economy is not helping the Fed any. So, here's what's likely to happen: Fed keeps raising rates, maybe 0.75 in the next meeting, and then again in November, Mm. and housing slows down. We we're already seeing the housing data slow down. I think that we are going to be in a housing correction but yeah. not a housing recession. 
So what I'm seeing right now is some of the strongest markets in the U.S. are beginning to correct. So Austin, Phoenix, Reno are correcting. Vancouver on the Canadian side has has already started its correction process. Uh, I'm seeing prices fall in Tampa, Boise, uh, and a couple other markets. So so some of the kind of a bubbliest markets, if you want to call them that. But other markets are still going up. Dallas was very, very strong last month. Houston was very strong last month. So they're still overall the housing market went up in the last 30 days. So it went upwards, prices went up, some markets went a little bit down. People keep saying it's crashing and I'm like, I don't know. That's the problem, Toby, right? So so every article I see is clickbait because they say 30% reduction. It's a 30% reduction in the number of properties being sold. And 30% seems like a lot because it panics people, 30%, 40%. Yes, but why don't you compare it to previous years? Right. Yes. We've got a weird time to compare to. Right. Because of COVID, we've got this all these benchmarks, these numbers uh, don't work. But then you go and read like five pages later at the bottom of the article, it says, but home prices increased by one point two percent in the last month. Yep. Why yeah, did you say that in the first paragraph? Because it's not up. Uh, it's not up as, as fast as it was growing. It's cut in half. The growth. Exactly. Is exactly. Yeah, they just love that. I, I, I look at it like okay, you took a, a jetliner. And he went up to forty thousand feet, and then it now now and it is now it's at thirty five thousand feet. And but they're usually at thirty five, right? <laughs> yeah, and you're like, well, normally is it that's at thirty thousand feet? Like we're still right. way up. Like we're not not at nose diving unless somebody decides to push the plane out of the sky. Maybe then we'd have an issue. But and that's kind of what the Fed's doing. They're like, we want you to go down, but we don't want to crash you. Yes. And I think that that number, so I, I I actually write down all of the numbers from all of the different agencies. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Ivy Zellman is a kind of a famous, well-known uh, consultant. She thinks, you know, about negative 7%, so it might go down 7% nationwide with some markets going down 10%. But then there's Fitch and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac all saying plus 2%. And these are new numbers based on what's happening today. What? It's not six-month-old data. Let's talk about who, who you know who who this is really going to hurt. Fed's doing its activity. We're going to see unemployment go up, right? Absolutely. You're going to see companies having to lay off. You're going to see yes. short-term pain. You're not building housing. The Harvard Joint Center for Housing says we're behind. I think it's the last numbers I looked at there was like three million, and then I see three point eight. Three point eight, three point nine is the most common number that we're that we're short of housing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's low to moderate income people that are getting kicked right in the teeth again. And it just, it's, it's, it's disheartening, but as an investor, take note, the demand hasn't gone away. The no. demand is there. The Absolutely. Demand, Absolutely. Not it's much cheap money, but the demand is there. It's like people are hungry and you have food, you know, can, is, is there a demand to go to the French restaurant and spend a thousand dollars on a meal? Maybe, maybe it's nine fifty. Right. But everybody else still needs to eat and regular food. I think that regular, regular real estate, people still need regular real estate. I I, I like that analogy. So I'll take it a little bit further. So what happens is when layoffs start and sentiment goes down, some of those people that were going to the French restaurant three times a month are now going twice a month. Some of those ones that are going to that, you know, thousand dollar French restaurant are now going to a different one. That's eight hundred dollars. The point, though, is. When that recession ends, and remember, shallow recessions, when when the Fed creates artificial recessions, they're shallow because the Fed ends the recession just as they start them. When they end, 
people start to go back to that same $1,000 French restaurant the same number of times a month. So housing and oil are the two most inflexible things in the world if you don't count food. Obviously, food is inflexible that you need a total number of calories per day. But beyond that, there are two areas that are extraordinarily inflexible. One's housing, the other one's oil or our, our, you know, gas consumption. And what we've seen is the norm is that whenever that recession ends, they return to normal, but they don't return to normal. And I'll explain why. The demand returns to normal, but the price always returns to higher than normal. And that's the part that most people don't understand. The reason for that is builders. So already in the United States, if you look at home prices, home prices are up from last month, right? But builder sentiment is down, starts in the US are down 28%, 28% because the home builders pick, pick up money from the public, right? They pick up money from the Wall Street and Wall Street doesn't want to give them money right now because they get affected the most because their prices are the highest, right? They're the top end of the market. And so what happens when recessions start and even before they start is a home builder that was building 10,000 homes is now building seven. And so they create this supply hole, and it takes about 18 months for the hole to be created. Now, at the end of those 18 months, we were supposed to have a million new homes. Now we have a 700,000 new homes. So whenever the the prices return to normal and rents return to normal, they then grow faster. They spike up because you created the hole during the recession. And if you read the articles, we've already started creating that hole, right? So Perry Homes is saying we're down 30%. Lennar saying we may be down 40%. Well, here's the thing. At the end of the recession, we still have the same number of people or slightly more. The the U.S. does have population growth. Well, then we keep making these holes every time with the recession. And so this 3.9 million number two years from now is going to be larger, not smaller. And and I wish I wish they would lead with that. Right. I wish they would say we have a real nasty housing crisis and we're not building enough homes. You know, because home starts are down because interest rates are high and supply chain issues. Uh, and inflation. You just say that, boy, it's uh, it, we're gonna. We need more housing. So uh, I think I think a fair comment would be that once we get to the point where unemployment hits maybe five, five and a half percent, that's when the economy really starts to feel very negative. Because right now, people their sentiment. If you check their sentiment, they say it's negative. If yeah. you look at retail sales, they're amazing. Right. So their sentiment is stopping nobody from buying anything. Retail sales are fantastic. Travel is up by a shockingly high number. Right. Every flight in the U.S. is full. They're begging pilots to pull triple shifts. You know, United's paying people three X their salary. There's not enough employees here. And they've canceled twenty seven thousand flights this year already because they don't have enough manpower. So sentiment or not, right now, the American consumer is spending the money and it's debatable whether they have the money to spend or not. The Fed has has its target on. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, the Fed needs that to go down. Right. We got to we got to push you guys off because you're you're just going to it's, it's just you're out of order. Yes, exactly. You need you need to calm down a little bit and we're going to help you calm down. And and the key thing is what is going to happen in the next three or four months? The biggest thing for people listening to this podcast is this. Today, the economy is at 3.5% unemployment. There's 11 million jobs open. So you're like, but Neil and, and Toby are just looking at today. No, we're not. We know that in five or six months, unemployment will be higher. The sentiment will be lower. And you'll be thinking, oh, it's I, I'm glad I didn't buy something. But answer this question. When this recession ends, and we have more people living in the United States. And because of all this inflation, the cost of everything else has gone up. Where will the homes come from if the builders stop building them? And if they don't build them, won't people have to rent? 
That's really the fundamental question of supply and demand that no one ever really articulates for me where are all these you know, homes going to come from. That's why I continue to invest. I'm just preparing for challenges coming up in the next 12 months. If you're, you're in a recession, unemployment's high, my delinquency is going to spike. I might have to give more concessions. I might have to stop increasing my rents. I'm prepared for all of that Which because fun. my bounty is at the other end of this yep. when another supply hole is dug. Find me a 10-year stretch in any major market where it didn't come back. You know, re- remove Detroit from the mix. but like Yeah, that's it, right. Yeah, for most some markets, for most major cities, barring some extraordinary change in the economy, but just like normal markets, it's really it's 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 almost impossible to find one where you're, you're looking at a major city that isn't over a ten year stretch up uh, up even during our two thousand and eight recession. Yeah, and and Toby, I want to add one last piece because this is new. This there is no previous data for this. Okay. If you go to Europe, you know, like you, I was in, I, I spent my summer in Europe this year. So I went to, you know, I was in London, I was in in, in France. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I'm a real estate guy. So I'm going around talking to people about real estate. And they're like, you guys are weird in the US. Do you know that most of our homes are owned by investors? Yeah. You know, rich people rent because, you know, even if they're owning, they go own somewhere else, but their home is rented. Like the entire continent a significant portion of everything is owned by investors. Now, in the U.S., please read the articles they're talking that that say by this date, by this year, 40% of the homes, I think it's 2030, 40% of all homes in the United States will be owned by investors. So the U.S. is an aberration. There is no developed economy where so many people own their homes, right? So we are an aberration. That's coming to an end because our cheap land, we ran out of cheap land. We, we haven't built a major freeway system in this country for 30 years. So obviously you're going to run out of cheap land. And where's the $5 trillion that you need to build another three-way you know, circle around every city in the US? The money isn't there. We're too nimby. So you know that kind of development simply not happening anywhere in the US. So if you can't do that, if you can't do that level of development, you run out of cheap land. Once you run out of cheap land, you become like Europe. And mm-hmm. if you become like Europe, then at least half of your homes are owned by investors. Mm-hmm. At this point, investor interest in real estate is the highest it's been in history, right? And institutional interest, people who are buying $1 to $10 billion a year, has really only existed for the last 10 years. So American Homes for Rent started that revolution in 2010, Blackstone, Black, BlackRock, and now everybody there everybody and their mother has joined in. So we are in this two-decade process of moving from a ownership-based model to a rentership-based model. And there's nothing anybody can really do to stop it. Well, I keep reading about, uh, let's just use, I think it's Blackstone. They're saying that they're going to stop buying in certain markets and they're going to cool down. They're at, they're kind of at the mercy of the Fed too, mm-hmm. especially their investors. But at the same token, you see there's they're slowing down in markets. You hear that they have $50 billion in, in funds that they're raising to re-enter the market at the same time. When you start looking, you're like, oh yeah, we're we're gonna stop buying in most of these markets. Then why are you stockpiling all that cash to come back into the market? Because they can actually affect the market. You know, we what we've seen is Blackstone and BlackRock understand that unlike any of us, they can actually make enough statements enough number of times to actually cut a 5% discount. And when you have $50 billion, five percent is two and a half billion dollars of profit by simply making a bunch of statements over and over again and paying for press releases to make those statements right you can move a market 
Yeah. That's what they're doing. What it's was brilliant, it? right? They used to do that in the stock market where they'd put in these big sell orders, but they'd have an even bigger buy order uh, waiting. Right in the- after that, yeah. You know, and you could see the double, like, hey, I could see this flow. <laughs> It, but the funny thing is that is now illegal to do in the stock market. It is not illegal to do in real estate. There is no SEC equivalent order preventing you from basically, you know, issuing statements and then going back and buying when the price is lower. So we're leaving this market. <laughs> right? Yeah, I see a lot of that happening. Hey, what, what, yeah, I mean, what, what's wrong with your eye? No, no, exactly. we're really I mean, leaving it. Right. And everyone's asking the same question. We know you have this $50 billion. Why don't you issue a statement about what you intend to do with this $50 billion? Because then you guys would all mark it up and make it more expensive for us, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're in it to make some dollars. We're in it to make some dollars. And uh, we're a little more fleet of foot because we're a lot smaller and we don't have insta- we don't have investors to, to, to answer to on that scale. You, you yeah. get to because you do syndications. Me, I'm just a a Joe Schmo who likes to buy property. I'm like, that, that looks good. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. one looks good. I'll buy that one. Yeah, I'll exactly. buy no, I uh, think, I think, you know, as, as long as we can ignore noise, noise is really the biggest problem in real estate. You know, you, you read this article and, and one of the most annoying things I've seen is, you know, if you're using Facebook or Flipboard, once you click on an article, it will then supply you three articles like that. So yep. if you're clicking on an article about the housing market crash, you can be sure that 15 minutes later, you'll see another one. Now you think that every mar- article is about the hard housing market crash. I'm going to crash. I'm going to dump all my stuff. That's, exactly. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. I think that the, the way that we re- read news in this country is messed up. It's best to actually prevent cookies. That way you get all the news rather than just the news that it thinks you should be getting, which is housing market crash, housing market crash. So I think I think that's the, the key portion of this. Having said that, though, mm-hmm. there are sectors that have adjusted. I am now paying. I just bought a new property, multifamily property. I, I you know it was about roughly twenty five million, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I paid eighteen percent less for this property than three equivalent sales, same age, same size, that were sold in the last year. So the the average price was I think was about two twenty, and I paid one ninety. Right. So I'm eighteen percent lower. Because on the multifamily side, what happens is as soon as the market adjusts, the banks give you a lower loan. They, they reduce the amount of lending because they say, well, you know, your, your, your cash flow is reducing. So the multifamily market actually is more pragmatic. And I like being there because it's more data driven. And you don't really have a choice. You can't have a fake price. You can't tell people, I'm going to sell my property to you for 233 a door. I'm sorry, I can't finance the property anymore at 233 a door. So the price automatically adjusts. And nobody's talking about this, that, hey, multifamily prices might be down by 10 or 15% because the multifamily guys know, look, this is a business, right? Now, now you might say, why would you want to buy these, these units today knowing the interest rates are high? Because interest rates are transitory, but the purchase price is not. So I'm still getting that 18% discount where 18 months from now, I'm going to refinance this property. Because remember, sharp up equals sharp down, and the Fed is going up very sharp. That means that somewhere down this cycle, there's a sharp down as well. The other thing is, is I, you know, Fed might go up this far, you see my hand, and it might only come down half of that. But what happens is that the mortgage market guesses. So at some point, the mortgage market will drop a fair bit, let's call it 18 months from now, 
and I'll refinance then. I'll just keep waiting for it to drop to a certain point and refinance. If after that it goes back up, I don't care. I've locked in my rate once. It just, there just has to be one single day, 18 months from now, where the rates are low. And I'm just waiting there. And I call my banker and I say, lock my rate in. And then I'm done. So so, so it's like the gym. Short-term pain equals long-term gain. You could, and there, there is no long-term pay, gain without the short-term pain. That's yeah. the that's what the Fed is saying. You want to keep having these gains without any pain. That doesn't work. Yep. That's steroids. You know what's going to happen with steroids. You're going to get puffy. There you go. <laughs> it's going to hurt you. So we're going to save you from yourself, economy. Exactly. We're that's what it's you from yourself. Uh, listen, you know I got to tell you this. The, the Fed catches a lot of flack because we're all like, this is some evil organization. If you didn't have the Fed, you'd have housing bubbles every three years exploding and prices falling to half. Oh, you, you, you would have funds figured out that it only goes up. Yeah, say, that's right. And, and say, we're just going to buy everything because in 10 years, it's going to be astronomical anyway. They would somehow justify it and they would just somehow be justify it, right? And then everybody would be paying 20, 30%, 40% a then year. More. Then we're Europe. That, then, yeah. then we are going to be a nation of renters. Yes. Um, and, and, and by the way, you, you might worry about this. Only one Fed in the world now has pricing power left to be actually able to do this. The, the Europeans haven't raised interest rates in nine years, even though they've got bubbles forming of their own. London, mar- Look at the London you know, housing market. You'd think that the US would be really, really cheap if you went to London. And you'd, if you went to Singapore, you'd think that London was cheap, right? I mean, the housing markets outside the US are ridiculously crazy expensive because their federal reserves have lost the ability to raise interest rates. So yep. thank God that our Fed can slow our markets down and cool them off. It's good. It, and and, and short-term pain again just keep, pain. just keep repeating it it's short yes. term it's not i agree with you so I, I i look at all the amount of equity i think the average equity in a home in the united states is still over two hundred thousand dollars we have that the credit scores have never been higher on purchases we don't have all these adjustable rate mortgages flowing all over the place this is not 2008 and people that want to make that comparison just don't understand there's 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 five trillion reasons why it's not the same but even if you remove those this is a the, the the Fed and I don't necessarily like all the underwriting restrictions and how hard and how hard they are. But in situations like this, I'm glad that I we like them. Yeah, I like him. If yeah. if you don't have these restrictions, you end up back in 2007. So I'm glad that the Fed has these restrictions it in place. The same. It's you know, one of these things is not like the other, right? This, exactly. this, little, exactly. this little hiccup is not 2008. Right. And, and I agree with you 100%. One, one data point I want to you know offer, then this is the last one. I'll shut up after that. But if you are going to go back and look at the past, which is a good thing, we encourage you to do that. Why only look at 2007? Why don't you look at 1991, 2001, uh, look at the 80s, look at those recessions and look at how housing did in those recessions and look at how rents did in those recessions. The oh, is problem that- is 2007 is the anomaly and you're basing all of your investment decisions on the only real estate anomaly of the last 100 years. Yeah, That doesn't make any sense, right? Look at all of them. Look at yeah. all of them, and you'll have a much better picture of what happens when economy goes into a recession. You have nine different sets of data. And, and, and I've always compared the one chart that's like one of my favorite things is to compare the median home price to the median rental price. And so you're looking at what, what what's the approximate rent value of a of a of a unit. Yep. 
And if it gets too out of whack, and it was getting close before the Fed started taking action. It was getting close. But, yeah. but when the price is no longer, hey, I can't afford to stay in this place, I need to rent it, and it can't support the debt and can't support the valuation, you're toast. And, yeah. and I think that's, to me, because living in Vegas, people were buying houses for a million bucks that you, that you would rent for 2000 it was that was a three hundred thousand dollar property or two hundred thousand dollar property. That was not a million dollar property. In other words, the rents would never support that valuation, and people got kicked in the just got crushed as a result. We weren't there. We still have rents going up. They're keeping they're keeping pace for the most part with the values. There was a period of time when the values started to run away a little bit. Not anymore. The rents are still going up. That's because demand is so high right now. And again, I feel bad for the poor. I feel bad for people that are kind of moderate income, people that are just starting out in the workforce is because it's going to be tough for them to buy a property. It's going to be really It could tough. be. It could be. But but you're an investor. You're listening because you're an investor. Yep. So if there's one data point that you should study, it's what happened in 1982 when the feds raised interest rates to 18 and a half, right? What happened to the housing market then? Most people don't understand this, right? The short answer is housing market went down for four months, five, 7% down. Some markets went down 10%. And then they went back up and they ended the 82 recession higher than the beginning of the recession yep. at 18 and a half percent. Yesterday's interest rates were 5.53. Yep. Drive right. growth. Like you always look at growth and inflation and inflation isn't going away. So if, you, if you're betting on inflation, they're going to curb it, but it still goes up every year. They're yep. basically telling you the value of your asset, whatever you buy, is going to go up no matter what. Absolutely. So, and I, it's not even really in their control. I think inflation in the future, Toby, is is in more in the 3% range. I yeah. think we had this amazing 2% time frame that has ended. It may not come back for decades. If, mm-hmm. if inflation is going to be 3% a year, I want to buy every fixed asset there is to buy. You got it. Everything's on sale right now, and we should be on a. It, I think of it that way, you know, within reason. But you're still looking at it going, this is a great time. If everybody thinks this is a bad time to be buying, this is a great time to be frugal about your buying, but it's still a great time to be buying over, or again, short-term pain, long-term gain. If you're willing to to, to do it, uh, to, to purchase something and stick out this next year. Because what do you think? Is it, you think it'll be early 2023 or excuse me, 2023 when it, when it, when it comes back? Or do you think we're looking farther out? I think it's a little bit further out because everything is delayed. If you think about it, we've had we've been threatening to raise prices and uh, or raise interest rates now for seven months. But today's market prices haven't gone down, so there's a delayed effect. Well, it's also going to be delayed on the other side when you come out. So it's second half of 2023. I think we see some seriously good uh, interest rates. You know, maybe by August, September of next year. But we might see some pocket opportunities before that where interest rates go down a little bit and we have some opportunities to refinance. Um, The only message is this, liquidity, liquidity, liquidity. You don't know what's going to happen in the next six or seven months. You don't know how bad it's going to get. Over, create, you know, if if you normally have 100,000 in liquidity in your property, have 200, have 250, even have access to more if you need it. That liquidity is extraordinarily cheap compared to the benefit you're going to get on the other end. Yep. Again, don't look at it in a period of months, look at it in a period of years and you're going to be, no no matter how you slice it, it, it may be, it may be later in 2023. I can't see us having a year 
down. I just, I just, I still think in terms of uh, just about every other situation where the S and P got crushed in the beginning of a year, almost always, not always, but almost always bounces back up. And within two years, it almost, I, I don't think there is a situation to me. Maybe yeah, it's, it's, it's rare, right? 2008, again, the aberration, but otherwise it's, uh, it's, it's extremely, it's extremely rare, right? So you'll, yeah. you'll come back down. Just remember this, the United States is the only cheap real estate market in the developed world. There is no other cheap developed in a world market in terms of real estate. And cheap is always relative because there's only so many dollars worldwide and we do happen to be the reserve currency of the world. So everybody wants to buy our stuff. And so the fact that we are the cheapest, cheaper than you know anywhere in Europe, third world countries in Europe are more expensive as a percentage of people's incomes mm-hmm. than we are. India, I came from India, is two to three X more expensive as a percentage of salaries as the US is, maybe closer to three X than two X. China's horrendously expensive. Mm-hmm. This is the only cheap real estate market in the world. It can't stay that way. Yeah. Cheap, cheap being relative to how much money we being pay. relative. Yes. Yeah. But, but once you realize that you live in, in, in that opportunity, take advantage of it. Well, the institutional investors certainly are right. So, you know, if you look at institutional portfolios in 2005, 5% of their portfolio was real estate. Today, it's 25, and they've already made announcements that they're going to 40 by 2030. So we're halfway through that process. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. Neil, I really appreciate it. How does somebody get a hold of you, by the way? Um, Well, luckily, I'm the only Neil Bawa on the World Wide Web. So simply type in N-E-A-L-B-A-W-A, hit enter. You'll see plenty. You'll see plenty. There you go. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. uh, And I, 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 I think... You and I and a lot of other investors are in agreement. Maybe people could stop listening to all the hate and all the anger and all the doomsdaying out there and actually look at the opportunities that this presents. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Toby. You got it. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 